Anatomy of Current Events. I'm Gary Bell along with Brad Pollack. We are lawyers out of Denver, Colorado. We have offices in Denver and Steamboat Springs, beautiful Steamboat Springs in Colorado. And this is our show for you. It's called Legal Anatomy of Current Events. We take the current events, we take what's in the news, and we break that down for you legally. We give you the legal story inside the story. And today, we're talking about Aretha Franklin's will, or wills, if you will. There were more than more than one will. There was one in 2010 and one in 2014. But why are we talking about this? Why is this in the news? There was a trial recently, a verdict rendered on the wills. We're going to break that down for you. One was found under the couch or in the couch, under the cushion in the couch. And another one was found in what they called a very important place where Miss Franklin kept all of her very important documents. So what's the law? What's the breakdown? What's the big deal? What does this all mean legally? Legal anatomy of current events. We're going to anatomize your mind like we do every week. And so here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. As one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And to the republic for which it stands. The Democratic National Committee is located in the Watergate office building. The burglars forced a stairwell door, then taped its latch open. Well, I'm not a crook. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One nation under God. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. And you can see the two towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way. Good Lord, there are no words. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Title IX, the landmark civil rights law. It marked a watershed moment for women's rights when it passed in 1972. And the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, preparing for launch. Legal Anatomy of Current Events, launch sequence started. D-16, IU green to go, propellants pressurized. D-15, Legal Anatomy of Current Events, SC ready and green to go. D-14, FOS ready, green to go. D-12, S1C fuel tank pressurized. T minus 11, SC green to go. Legal anatomy of current events green to go. T minus 10, internal power green to go. LES ready for ignition. T minus 9, 8, 7. We have ignition. 5, 4, commit for launch green. 3, 2, 1. We have liftoff. Repeat, we have liftoff. Legal anatomy of current events all for you. Now on the air. Target locked. Aretha Franklin and her wills. There was two wills. And they, they were, interestingly enough, both in her handwriting. Is that legal? We're going to cover that today. Brad's going to explain that to you. Handwritten wills. You know, you think about a typical will, and we're going to go through that, but a typical will, it's all formalized, etc. and we'll go through those requirements. But these wills were handwritten and dated. And, of course, one, one will gave uh, a large amount of the estate to one person, and the other will, the later will, gave it to uh, two people. Uh, and so 
then then that starts the fight. Usually when there's more than one document and two different people get get the money or the legacy or the royalties in this case, including the royalties, there's a fight. Brad, let's start. Let's start by breaking down and explain to everybody what a typical will is. The one that's typed up, you go to your lawyer's office and you get it all figured out and then we can compare that to Aretha Franklin's wills. Well, okay. Everybody talks about wills and we all think a will. Well, first of all, let's let's cross some T's and dot some I's here. Uh, what we're talking about is general law. Each state can have separate distinct laws that apply to a will. And it, it, it's important for wherever you are when you're listening to this or wherever your, your assets are domiciled or wherever you're domiciled, if you're going to have your assets being addressed in your will, that you follow the laws of the state. Uh, now, m- most states will have uh, what we call holographic wills that we're going to talk about today in Aretha Franklin's situation. But the next thing is, is this, this got worked out in a court of law and it, it was contentious. And the only thing I can really say is, is that, you know, try not to have two wills that you're not certain where they're, which one is meant to be which one and try not to have them uh, kept in two different places and try to uh, give some kind of uh, uh, credibility to where you're keeping your will. Now, you know, most of us, 90% of us don't know when we're going to die. So the, the question is, if you don't have a will, probably ought to have one. That's, that's important to get a will. If you can do it through uh, somebody, if you have the money to do it through an, an estate lawyer, uh, I would highly recommend you go to an estate lawyer in the state where you live, where you're domiciled to address it. Uh, yes, it's going to cost you some money, but if you want to save your heirs at law quite a bit of money in the future, then, you know, you need to uh, get, get yourself a good lawyer to, to take care of it. And in the meantime, for instance, if you can't get to a lawyer in the next month or two months, then maybe you ought to listen to some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, and maybe you do want to do a holographic will. Right, and the point I want to make, Brad's point was great. It was, uh, you know, we can't cover every state's law, so you have to comply with the law in the state you're located. If you're located in Maine, it's Maine laws. California, California law, Oregon, Oregon law, and on and on. Okay, and there's, there's really no federal law. It's each state's law, what constitutes and comprises a will. So we want you to know that that's important. But the normal will, and you don't have to have a multi-million dollar fortune to have a normal formal will. You would be surprised if you went to a state attorney's and you had what they called a simple will and you, you gave a devise and you gave the gifts that you wanted. It's not that expensive. But Brad, let's explain what a formal will is and then we'll get to the other ones here in a minute. Right. And a formal will is something where you're normally going to be going to uh, a lawyer, or maybe you type it up yourself, or you go to somebody who wants to write the will, or who wants to, uh, who, who is that does that kind of stuff, an estate planning person, and you put together a written document that complies with each element of the statute in the state that you're at, that makes uh, the the will valid and distributes your property. Now, sometimes they have some ways you can add on to the will, an addendum with respect to personal property. Sometimes they don't. Most states, I believe, do have a a way that you can do addendums so that if you want to leave your, um, you want to decide who you're going to leave personal property to, like like your your uncle's or your your father's uh, 
ring or your mother's wedding ring to somebody and you happen to have it or you in or whether you want to leave your wedding ring to somebody and you can do a list of where you're going to leave certain specific items but the will itself will usually deal with what's going to happen to most of your estate and how your estate's going to be um, d- divvied up among the people who you want to have um, possession of your property or who you want to have get the money that you have. Um, maybe you want to give your money to a charity and not to one, your, your child. Um, maybe you want to give your money to more to one child than another for any reason or no reason. You don't have to have reason. It's your property. You have the right to designate where it's going to go. And it gets done in a formal typed up document that is then executed in accordance with the laws of the state, whether that means you have to sign it in front of a notary or whether or not you have to attest to it at a later time, whether or not you have to have witnesses who look at the, who watch you sign the will, uh, the, and you you carry out all the formalities that the state has to make sure it's a proper will. Um, so you're, you're dealing with a number of different elements, but if you're dealing with a professional who knows how to write the will, then that, that's going to be no problem. Yeah. <clears throat> so most wills are typed up, they're formalized, you know, and then they're witnessed by two witnesses. And, and again, your state law controls, but that's, that's a formal, normal will. It doesn't have to be expensive. It can be, depends on the size of your state, but that's a formal will. And that's what most people expect. And it's called the words of the, the legal vernacular of it. It's a self-authenticated will. What does that mean? It was typed up, it was signed, it was notarized, and it was signed in the presence of two witnesses or the number of witnesses in your state. So that's a self-authenticated will. But, Brad, that's not what we had in Aretha Franklin's estate. Because if we had had that, it might have been a lot clearer, and, and there might not have been a lawsuit. What we had, and what she had in Aretha Franklin's estate, was a, a will in her handwriting, not typed. And one was sort of in a, in a safe where they described it, a very, a very important safe place where she put her important documents. That was one, the one in 2010. And then the one in 2014 was in her handwriting and dated and signed, so not typed, not typed up, in her handwriting, dated and signed, it was under the couch cushion. And so the argument was that couldn't be a will, it couldn't be taken seriously. It was just stuffed into the couch cushion. And so now the question is, which is the real will? And the question is, are they valid? And so, Brad, let's talk about Let's talk about holographic wills because holographic wills means in handwriting, simple word, legal word, holographic. It means it's in your own handwriting. So you write out who you want uh, to, to receive your, your money, your property, your estate, and in her case, royalties. And that's part of what the fight's about. And so the people were saying that the will, uh, the 2014 holographic handwritten will under the couch cushion, that was the real will. And then the beneficiaries that were gaining the most from the 2010 earlier will that was in a safe place, a safe cabinet or safe that was still in her handwriting, that that was the real will. And so there had to be a lawsuit because they couldn't agree. And of course, there's money to fight over. And and so they were fighting over it. And so you have two purportedly holographic wills, Brad, signed by her, dated by her, and then... When they can't agree, then you, there's going to be a lawsuit and you're going to have a verdict. Well, sure. And, and that's what's going to happen. So let's make sure we understand that the last will in time is going to be the will that's going to control how the assets are going to be distributed. 
Pretty simple. Shouldn't be a hard one. Now, let's say you have two wills. You have one, and then later on you do another one, and you don't address certain assets from the first will, and you don't address them in the second will. Probably the first will can be considered to identify where you want to have your, those particular assets distributed. But the will that's going to control what happens to the estate is going to be the last valid will in time. Yeah, yeah, but and on that point, Brad, so the last the last will, the one in 2014 here, one of the questions was, was it a valid will? The jury said it was a valid will. It met the requirements. It was signed, dated, uh, and in her own handwriting. But Brad's point is, let's make up a point right here to prove Brad's point and our point. Let's just create an example. Suppose you have two wills, and the earlier will disposes of and gives away your 1943 primetime Mercury. That's all spiffied up and all fixed up and gives away your coin collection in the first will. And the second will, assume it's valid, the second will, doesn't mention the Mercury, doesn't mention the coin collection. So Brad, can you then have two wills? Can part of one will be revoked by the second will, changed by the second will, altered, modified, expanded by the second will? And in that example, we're talking about the Mercury on the coin collection. And that's going to be, go a lot to the intent of the testator, the person who determined how they wanted the assets divided. And you look to the wills or documents to try and determine. Let's say the second will, Gary, is a, is a handwritten will. And it says, I hereby revoke all prior wills. And, and, you know, in all prior, prior uh, uh, writings of any kind, I don't think it has to go that, that clear to say all prior writings of any kind um, that, then, uh, that provide for the distribution of assets. Well, guess what? Then probably that Mercury, who was mentioned in the first quote will, but is not mentioned in the second, is going to go into the general assets that are being divided up. Okay, but you're saying that the second will revoke the first one in its yes. entirety. If the, the first one doesn't exist anymore. That's right. If the first one revokes, I mean, if the second one revokes the first one. But what, what if the second one doesn't mention anything about revoking the first one? If the second one doesn't mention anything about revoking the first one, then depending on what might come out as far as any kind of legal argument or, or case cases before a jury of any other circumstances, you're probably going to have that first one who dist which distributes the mercury still distributing the mercury. And the coin collection. And the coin collection. Because the second will didn't mention the mercury or the coin collection and didn't revoke the first will. It didn't revoke the first one. So that's another thing when you're doing a will. If you're going to do a will, you, you might want to revoke all prior wills, and you always want to say you're a sound mind. Uh, and you you are you're revoking all pre previous wills. Uh, if you don't, then some of that might hang on. And if you're not of sound mind at the time that you're doing the second will, your second will may not count at all, and the first will may take priority. Okay, let's just let's stop right there, brother. That's a great great case, uh, great point because you have the second will, and let's say it does not revoke the first will. Doesn't mention anything about revoking the first will. Both on your handwriting, both are good holographic wills. So the first will still stands as to certain points, right? Right. Now, let's take our example. Suppose the second will says, doesn't say anything about revoking the first will, but the, suppose the second will says my coin collection goes to a different person. That's where it goes. Okay. So that part about the coin collection was revoked in part. 
It, it, in, in essence, it yeah, is. in essence, it's revoked. You, you mean it, they may not have said it was revoked? They may not have said, "I hereby revoke my prior gift of my coin collection to Johnny, and and now I give it to Mary." It might just say, "I give my coin collection to Mary." The last in time is going to control. Johnny's not going to get that coin collection. Mary's going to get the coin collection. Yeah, so, so both are valid wills. And then we're assuming that in our talk in our talk in our podcast podcast today, both are valid wills. Because if one's invalid, it's going to be a whole different story. So we're saying both are valid. The second one does not revoke the first one, Brad. And the second one says, well, now my coin collection goes to a different person. And how do you determine if it's a valid will? Well, you go to the laws of your state, take the document in and of itself as it sits there without any other considerations, without even thinking about a second will being there. Take a look at the, the, the document and determine whether or not it fits the requirements of your state to be a will whether it be one that's typewritten, whether it be one that's handwritten, whether it be one that was written uh, uh, five months before the death or the day of death, it doesn't matter. And in Aretha Franklin's case, uh, it came up to also, it doesn't matter where it was kept. You You might keep one in between the cushions of your couch and you might keep one in the nice chest in your house, in but, the drawer. But let's talk about that because why doesn't it matter, Brad? I mean, th- th- that was part of the argument to the jury in the Aretha Franklin case. They said it could, the second will under the couch cushion could not be a will. It couldn't be. Look where they found it. I mean, who puts their will under a cushion of a couch? That was the argument. Well, who puts their, their money in a cookie jar? Uh, who puts it in a freezer? Who puts it in a can outside in the, in the, in the yard? Doesn't matter where you put it. Doesn't matter where you keep it. Doesn't matter where you decided to put the second one. Um, you know, if if that's where it's at. You know, now Aretha Franklin's. You know, the the bottom line I think that killed the argument that that will was was not a valid will was the fact that it was signed. Um, well, yeah, but anyway, so even the court said it doesn't matter where it's found if it meets the requirements of a holographic meaning handwritten will under the statute. It's in her handwriting. It's signed. It's dated. Voila, bingo. Well, well you know, you look in, and you look at the circumstances. Okay, they found these pieces of paper in the cushions of the couch that said it was her will that was signed that was in two different colors of ink. Yeah, that's the most fascinating part. Two different colors of ink. Well, you know, to me, I'm picturing Aretha, you know, getting home and thinking I'm I'm mad at one of my kids or I'm not happy with one of my kids because her first will had some restrictions in it. You know, that, that certain things went to the kids if they did certain things. Right. And so, and I think it was go to business school and get a certificate or a degree or something. But that, that, so she's, she's sitting there and she sits down and after she's done a show or something, or she's been, been to the recording studio or whatever, and she sits down and she starts writing out a new will. She's mad. She's mad at one of the kids. She's going to change. Or maybe she's not mad. Maybe the other kids did something that she's really happy about, but she changes it. And so she starts writing it, and she doesn't get it done. She, she gets finished a little bit. And she so she stuffs leaves. it under the couch. Well, wait a minute. She just leaves it on the, on the, on the couch. And a couple days later, she comes back, and she works some more on the will because she intends to work on the will. And anybody who's worked on a will realizes that if you've got much, which Aretha apparently had, and it's not certain because I think 
they said that she they thought she had about 80 million but instead she had about 8 million after she paid the taxes well and then it, it got reduced for some reason yeah, but let's just let's reduced. just say it got but reduced it was quite a bit of money she thought she was giving out and dealing with so she goes down she sits down again and she can't find her black pen she usually uses her black pen she can't find it but the blue pen's over there on the table and it's a lot easier to get to or she happens to have that in her purse so she goes through her purse she gets out the blue pen and i don't know if these are the colors but now she's got two different colors on her will but she starts starts writing some more of her will and as she's writing it she she gets done and or or she she writes it and she thinks that's good enough she signs it but she says maybe i'll make some changes to it or maybe i'm too tired to go over there and and put it in the in the in a formal envelope and put it in my chest or, or my desk drawer where i lock it up or maybe i'm too tired to go over there and tear up the other one because she tears it up or if the other one if the first one can't be found it doesn't count and so she she's done she's completed and and she signed the will and you know she lays down to go to sleep and it's in the couch and it's in the couch and she gets called to go do something or she wakes up to go do something or she wakes up and goes to bed and the document's still there it doesn't matter she she wrote it and she signed it and guess what happens when you write it and you sign it you date it you write it in your own handwriting and you sign it and it becomes under that law michigan law a valid holographic and under a whole lot of other states too don't think michigan's the only one over a whole lot of other ones so if you're doing that the minute you sign it you have to understand you're giving special preference to it especially when you date it now you know i've read some stuff that said that aretha had up to four different wills uh or potential wills and she had a number of documents that she was that she worked on and, and that she wanted to distribute. And it sounds like she had relationships with her children, uh, none of them which I would call bad, but she had relationships where she was requiring certain standards from her from her sons before they got things. And she wanted certain standards met. And that was something she was putting in her will, or she some conditions at least for before her, her children got certain assets, which, uh, you know, I would imagine there's a lot of parents out there who do that. They, they, especially if you got a parent who's sitting there saying, "I've got these recording rights and I've got all this money and royalties and, and, and money. royalties and you know you could be talking about twenty, thirty, forty million dollars. And before I want one of my sons to have access to thirty million dollars, I want him to have some business background or some business acumen, and I want him to have some business education. And so, you know, I'm going to give it to him if he has the education. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But what happens if she gives up? Because I think the, by the time she of her death, these, these kids were in their 30s and 40s. Okay, but the interesting thing and the fascinating thing about the Aretha Franklin case is that all the people, all the parties, all the lawyers stipulated and agreed that the 2010 will was valid. Right, that was the That one. was a valid holographic will. Right. That was the one that was in the desk in the drawer, cabinet. nice and cabinet and in the cabinet drawer, nice and tidy and neat and sitting there. And then the argument was whether or not the second one was was. And that's what the valid. jury that's what the jury was in, was required to do to determine if the second one was valid. Now they have, Brad. They said it's valid. So now now that's that's not the end of the story here, folks, not the end of the legal story, because w what parts of the first one were revoked? By implication or by inconsistency, like remember the Mercury and remember the coin collection, what parts of the first will for Aretha Franklin were revoked by the second val will, which is now determined to be valid? Sure. Now, now you got to start trying to make them work together, and you got to start trying to coordinate them into something that that you can do and something you can you can make work. 
and and that can be a big a big problem. It can be something you have to worry about because if they say different things or if they deal with different assets, then you you know now you've got to start tr- trying to figure out did she just forget about that asset? Did she intentionally leave it out of the second will? Did she, you know, did she divided it up? Did she divide it up in percentages? Was it meant to be 50-50 if it says I leave these royalties to these two kids? Uh, what, what did she mean for it to be? And how does she mean for it to be divided up? That's why, you know, once again, you know, I'll probably say it more times that, you know, you're, you're smart if you go to some lawyer somewhere who has the ability to put together a decent will for you. Uh, an estate planning lawyer, and you have to think and you have to understand that that what you've got is you've got somebody who, you know, hopefully they're of sound mind, as we've just had been pointed out to us. Uh, hopefully they're of sound mind that's trying to determine how to divide up all these assets, but they don't understand the repercussions of what they're doing. They don't understand how it works and what's happening. And, you know, for all we know, Aretha Franklin really didn't know that part of her first will could be considered in determining what was going to happen with her right. second Right, and all this could lead to further litigation because is part of the first will revoked? What part of it is revoked? That person is not going to be happy. Revoked how? Because the second will didn't say they're going to expressly revoke the first will. She didn't say that. She just said that. This is the second will, and so there, there could be further litigation. I mean, this is a good case where where there there should they should be really tried to re- resolve it. Um, and if you're not a you know, and another way to attack the second will is that she's not of sound mind. That's another way to attack the second will. Well, if what she, happens if, if she's not of sound? Huh? What happens if you're not? Okay, and, and they might have missed the chance because you, you you only get one bite of the apple of litigation. But if if she's not of sound mind when she writes the second will in 2014. If she's not and is proved, then that will becomes null and void. Then the second will goes goodbye, goes away, and the first will of 2010 controls everything. So there's other ways to attack um, attack the will. Not of sound mind, don't don't understand it, taken advantage of. A lot of elderly people, we're getting a little, bit away, a little bit away from the Aretha Franklin case right now, but a lot of elderly people changed their will, and there was undue influence brought on them by one of their children or more than one of their children. They're, they might be assisted living. They might be in nursing home, you know, and they, and I've heard the story before. Brad's heard it before that the person was 89 years old, 94 years old. They changed their will of 35 years ago because the, the child said, sign this. That's a different situation. That's undue influence. That's duress. So there's other ways to attack this will, you know, now, but we're talking about Aretha Franklin's will. So we're talking about a holographic will. Brad and I want to give you a couple of examples. I think you're going to enjoy these. Examples. The most famous one, the most famous one, a will, ladies and gentlemen, a will can be written on a board. It can be written on an eggshell. It can be written anywhere as long as it meets the valid requirements. Now, there was a famous case of a farmer where his tractor turned over on him. I think it was in the 30s or 40s. Tractor turned over on him. He was trapped for six hours. He decided he wasn't going to make it. So he took out his pocket knife and he scratched in the fender of the tractor, what he wanted, to, where his assets to go. And it, was, it had to be pretty simple. He didn't have much to work with, but, you know, all my assets go to my wife. That was declared to be a valid will. They, they have that fender in a law school now as an example. And the other one, Brad, that, that, that's a great example. One of my favorites is this lady, this poor lady was blind. So she sat down to write out her will 
And she wrote it out, you know, they're, they're good. She wrote it out, but she didn't realize that the pen was out of ink. And so there was no ink in the pen, but she wrote it out. And so they, what'd they do? They hired an expert to interpret the indentations in the paper by her handwriting, proved that was her handwriting, proved what it said. And you have a will on a piece of paper you can't read that became a valid holographic handwritten will. Now, that, that's a tough one for me to accept. Yeah. I know it's true. It's true. That, that's a tough one for me to accept. Um, I, I, I understand that, you know, you want well, to— Don't be do, Mr. Scrooge today. You don't have to be Mr. Scrooge. You want to honor the, you want to honor the wishes of, of the decedent. And I understand that there's a lot of ways you look at it, but to grab the paper and go through and look at where the pressure points are to try and figure out what the words are and try and figure out what they're doing, that's really, really a tough stretch in my mind, um, right. to be able to do it. But well, just just be aware that you can have a holographic will. It doesn't have to be on a piece of paper. It can be any kind of form. It can be stuffed under your couch cushion. It can be on a board. You could scratch it, carve it in with a knife. Uh, you could paint it. It has to meet the elements. Okay. We talked well, about Aretha Franklin's will today. Brad, you got any wrap-up on Aretha Franklin? Well, when, when you talk about it, it's got to be, you know— let, let's let's talk some you know normal things here. Uh, the bottom line is don't wait. If you want to do, do a will, if you think you're you, you, any reason you want to do a will, you want to control where your assets are going. And, and with mixed families, it's very important for a person who has assets. Um, and I'm not talking about a lot of assets. It doesn't have to be a lot of money. It can be cherished items. But if a, for a mixed family, it's really important that you, you understand what the laws of the state are as far as what happens if you have no will and no document. And then you have to understand if that's what you want. And if it's not what you want, then the idea is, is to get yourself something written up right away and then get a family law. I'm, I'm sorry, an estate lawyer. You might have to get a family law lawyer. You might have to. Somebody will, a will. You might have to. to. Yeah, that could get you in a lot of trouble, too. But in the in these examples we had, everything was left to the spouse. But, I mean, but if you're dealing with Mr. Scrooge over here, won't let the lady that's blind have a valid will, I don't know about that. Everything was left to the spouse and all of these, so they were in good shape. But if if you if you want to make sure your assets are going to go where they're supposed to go, Get a lawyer because the amount of money you will save the estate by doing that in advance is something that is going to be much better than the amount of money that is going to be spent fighting it out. And, you know, I, I, when I used to do some of these will contests or when we get involved in some of this stuff, Gary, you know, I, the first things I try to get the, the children to understand or the, heir, the potential heirs to understand is that the person who's going to win in this situation is me as the lawyer. I'm going to win because we're going to litigate this and I'm going to have a lot of hours in it and I'm going to get paid. You're better off getting yourself into a situation where that's all done in advance and it's all worked out. Like I said, and if you don't have time right away to go, sit down and write out what you want to do, date it, sign it, put it someplace safe. Don't put it in the cushions in the couch. It worked for Aretha, but I don't think you want to do that. Put it someplace where you hold your your safest papers, where they're not going to get destroyed in the house fire, and they're going to be there when when the flood comes or whatever. You're they're, they're still going to be there after the floodwaters recede. But make sure you comply with your own state's law, and we can't we can't talk to you about that. But you have to make sure that you do that. Right. So because I give you an example that is going to ring home true. Uh, a lot of states 
say that you cannot disinherit your spouse. You know, some people write their spouse right out of the will, but it, that's it. that part is invalid because they get what's called a forced share. So you can write them out of the will, but they're going to get a forced share anyway. But some states allow you to disinherit every one of your children if you want to, or disinherit two children out of four or five. So you need to comply with the state law. And I don't think we've seen the last of this Aretha Franklin will fight. I think it's going to come come around again. And if it does, we'll do a sidebar and an update. Okay, Brad, uh, we're wrapping up the show today on the illegal anatomy of current events. We love doing the show. And Brad, uh, Brad always does the American idiom. And he always picks a pretty good topic. I mean, I hate to say that on the record, but he does. And, and then I get to do the quote of the day. What do you got for us today? Well, you know, when we start talking about wills, we're talking about whether or not you have your wits about you. Because that's what they want to know if you're of sound mind. So do you have your wits about you? Which is an American idiom. And there's another one saying, if you be in two minds about something. And once again, if you're in two minds about something, chances are your will's not going to work out. Right. You want to make sure you have your wits about you and you're not in two minds about something. So th- those are my American idioms. And basically what the will's going to do is it's going to determine what you have in mind. And that's, that's the, hey, you're, you're rocking and rolling, that, man. That, I mean, that, I don't need a quote of the day. I just, we just cover American idioms. You're going, that, you're going. Th- that's three I put together for you, right? About a will that you need to understand. Man, you got, you got two bonus idioms today on, on the legal anatomy of current events. Okay. My quote of the day, my quote of the day says, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. And who said that? I don't know, but somebody really smart. <laughs> <laughs> somebody really smart. Somebody who couldn't do much, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the famous basketball coach from UCLA, John Wooden. Oh. That, was, that was a quote from him. So, all right, you're listening to Legal Anatomy of Current Events. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. Our law firm is Bell & Pollock. We're out of Denver, Colorado. We cover national events. We cover national news. And listen, we give you the story within the story, the legal story, the legal breakdown, the legal analysis, so you can make up your own mind on what you want to, on what side you want to take. This is a nonpartisan show, non-political show, but we certainly give you the legal analysis, and we certainly cover hot political topics, even though we don't take a side. Legal Anatomy of Current Events. You can reach us at info at legalanatomy.net. Gary Bell, Brad Pollock. We will see you next week.